It simply isn't to be thought of, Auntie Nan, said Mrs. William Morrison decisively. Mrs. William Morrison was one of those people who always speak decisively. If they merely announce that they are going to peel the potatoes for dinner, their hearers realize that there is no possible escape for the potatoes. Moreover, these people are always given their full title by everybody. William Morrison was called Billy oftener than not, but if you had asked for Mrs. Billy Morrison, nobody in Avonlea would have known what you meant at first guess. You must see that for yourself, Auntie, went on Mrs. William, hauling strawberries nimbly with her large, firm, white fingers as she talked. Mrs. William always improved every shining moment. It is ten miles to Kensington, and just think how late you would be getting back. You are not able for such a drive. You wouldn't get over it for a month. You know you are anything but strong this summer. Auntie Nan sighed and patted the tiny, furry, gray morsel of a kitten in her lap with trembling fingers. She knew, better than anyone else could know it, that she was not strong that summer. In her secret soul, Auntie Nan, sweet and frail and timid under the burden of her seventy years, felt with mysterious, unmistakable prescience that it was to be her last summer at the Gold Point Farm. But that was only the more reason why she should go to hear little Jocelyn sing. She would never have another chance. And oh, to hear little Jocelyn sing just once. Jocelyn, whose voice was delighting thousands out in the big world, just as in the years gone by it had delighted Auntie Nan and the dwellers at the Gold Point Farm for a whole golden summer with carols at dawn and dusk about the old place. Oh, I know I'm not very strong, Maria, said Auntie Nan pleadingly. But I am strong enough for that. Indeed I am. I could stay at Kensington overnight with George's folks, you know, and so it wouldn't tire me much. I do so want to hear Jocelyn sing. Oh, how I love little Jocelyn. It passes my understanding the way you hanker after that child, cried Mrs. William impatiently. Why, she was a perfect stranger to you when she came here, and she was here only one summer. But, oh, such a summer, said Auntie Nan softly. We all loved little Jocelyn. She seemed just like one of our own. She was one of God's children, carrying love with them everywhere. In some ways, that little Anne Shirley the Cuthberts have got up there at Green Gables reminds me of her, though in other ways they're not a bit alike. Jocelyn was a beauty. Well, that Shirley snippet certainly isn't that, said Mrs. Williams sarcastically. And if Jocelyn's tongue was one-third as long as Anne Shirley's, the wonder to me is that she didn't talk you all to death out of hand. Little Jocelyn wasn't much of a talker, said Aunt Nan dreamily. She was kind of a quiet child, but you remember what she did say, and I've never forgotten little Jocelyn. Mrs. Williams shrugged her plump, shapely shoulders. Well, it was fifteen years ago, Auntie Nan, and Jocelyn can't be very little now. She is a famous woman, and she has forgotten all about you. You can be sure of that. Jocelyn wasn't the kind that forgets, said Aunt Nan loyally. And anyway, the point is, I haven't forgotten her. Oh, Maria, I've longed for years and years just to hear her sing once more. It seems as if I must hear my little Jocelyn sing again before I die. I've never had the chance before, and I never will have it again. Do please ask William to take me to Kensington. 
dear me, Auntie Nan, this really is childish, said Mrs. William, whisking her bowl full of berries into the pantry. You must let other folks be the judge of what is best for you now. You aren't strong enough to drive to Kensington, and, even if you were, you know well enough that William couldn't go to Kensington tomorrow night. He has got to attend that political meeting at Newbridge. They can't do without him. Jordan could take me to Kensington, pleaded Auntie Nan, with very unusual persistence. Nonsense! You couldn't go to Kensington with the hired man. Now, Auntie Nan, do be reasonable. Aren't William and I kind to you? Don't we do everything for your comfort? Yes. Oh, yes, admitted Auntie Nan deprecatingly. Well, then, you ought to be guided by our opinion, and you must just give up thinking about the Kensington concert, Auntie, and not worry yourself and me about it any more. I am going down to the shore field now to call William to tea. Just keep an eye on the baby in chance he wakes up, and see that the teapot doesn't boil over. Mrs. William whisked out of the kitchen, pretending not to see the tears that were falling over Auntie Nan's withered pink cheeks. Auntie Nan was really getting very childish, Mrs. William reflected, as she marched down to the shore field. Why, she cried now about every little thing. And such a notion, to want to go to the old-timers' concert at Kensington and be so set on it. Really, it was hard to put up with her whims. Mrs. William sighed virtuously. As for Auntie Nan, she sat alone in the kitchen and cried bitterly, as only lonely old age can cry. It seemed to her that she could not bear it, that she must go to Kensington but she knew that it was not to be, since Mrs. William had decided otherwise. Mrs. William's word was law at Gull Point Farm. "'What's the matter with my old Auntie Nan?' cried a hearty young voice from the doorway. Jordan Sloane stood there, his round, freckled face looking as anxious and sympathetic as it was possible for such a very round, very freckled face to look. Jordan was the Morrison's hired boy that summer, and he worshipped Auntie Nan. "'Oh, Jordan!' sobbed Auntie Nan, who was not above telling her troubles to the hired help, although Mrs. William thought she ought to be. I can't go to Kensington tomorrow night to hear little Jocelyn sing at the old-timers' concert. Maria says I can't. That's too bad, said Jordan. Old cat, he muttered after the retreating and serenely unconscious Mrs. William. Then he shambled in and sat down on the sofa beside Auntie Nan. There, there, don't cry he said, patting her thin little shoulder with his big sunburned paw. You'll make yourself sick if you go on crying, and we can't get along without you at Gold Point Farm. Auntie Nan smiled wanly. I'm afraid he'll soon have to get on without me, Jordan. I'm not going to be here very long now. No, I'm not, Jordan, I know it. Something tells me so very plainly. But I would be willing to go, glad to go, for I'm very tired, Jordan. If I could only have heard little Jocelyn sing once more. Why are you so set on hearing her? Asked Jordan. She ain't no kin to you, is she? No, but dearer to me, dearer to me than many of my own. Maria thinks that is silly, but you wouldn't if you'd known her, Jordan. Even Maria herself wouldn't if she had known her. It is fifteen years since she came here one summer to board. She was a child of thirteen then, and hadn't any relations except an old uncle who sent her to school in the winter and boarded her out in the summer and didn't care a rap about her. The child was just starving for love, Jordan, and she got it here. William and his brothers were just children then. They hadn't any sister. We all just worshipped her. 
You are so sweet, Jordan, and pretty, oh my, like a little girl in a picture, with great long curls all black and purpley and fine as spun silk, and big dark eyes and such pink cheeks, real wild rose cheeks, and sing, my land. But couldn't she sing? Always singing, every hour of the day, that voice was ringing round the old place. I used to hold my breath to hear it. She always said that she meant to be a famous singer some day, and I never doubted it for a mite. It was born in her. Sunday evening she used to sing hymns for us. Oh, Jordan, it makes my old heart young again to remember it. A sweet child she was, my little Jocelyn. She used to write me for three or four years after she went away. But I haven't heard a word from her for long and long. I dare say she has forgotten me, as Maria says. T'wouldn't be any wonder. But I haven't forgotten her, and, oh, I want to see and hear her terrible much. She is to sing at the old-timers' concert tomorrow night at Kensington. The folks who are getting the concert up are friends of hers, or, of course, she'd never have come to a little country village, only sixteen miles away, and I can't go. Jordan couldn't think of anything to say. He reflected savagely that if he had a horse of his own, he would take Auntie Nan to Kensington, Mrs. William or no Mrs. William. Though, to be sure, it was a long drive for her, and she was looking very frail this summer. Ain't going to last long muttered Jordan, making his escape by the porch door as Mrs. William puffed in by the other. The sweetest old creeter that ever was created'll go when she goes. Yeah, ye old madam, I'd like to give you a piece of my mind, that I would. This last was for Mrs. William, but was delivered in a prudent undertone. Jordan detested Mrs. William, but she was a power to be reckoned with all the same. Meek, easy-going Billy Morrison did just what his wife told him to. So Auntie Nan did not get to Kensington to hear little Jocelyn sing. She said nothing more about it, but after that night she seemed to fail very rapidly. Mrs. Williams said it was the hot weather, and that Auntie Nan gave way too easily. But Auntie Nan could not help giving way now. She was very, very tired. Even her knitting wearied her. She would sit for hours in her rocking chair with the gray kitten in her lap, looking out of the window with dreamy, unseeing eyes. She talked to herself a good deal generally about little Jocelyn. Mrs. William told Avonlea folk that Auntie Nan had got terribly childish and always accompanied the remark with a sigh that intimated how much she, Mrs. William, had to contend with. Justice must be done to Mrs. William, however. She was not unkind to Auntie Nan. On the contrary, she was very kind to her in the letter. Her comfort was scrupulously attended to, and Mrs. William had the grace to utter none of her complaints in the old woman's hearing. If Auntie Nan felt the absence of the spirit, she never murmured at it. One day, when the Avonlea slopes were golden-hued with the ripened harvest, Auntie Nan did not get up. She complained of nothing but great weariness. Mrs. William remarked to her husband that if she lay in bed every day she felt tired. There wouldn't be much done at Gold Point Farm, but she prepared an excellent breakfast and carried it patiently up to Auntie Nan, who ate little of it. After dinner, Jordan crept up by way of the back stairs to see her. Auntie Nan was lying with her eyes fixed on the pale pink climbing roses that nodded about the window. When she saw Jordan, she smiled. 
Them roses put me so much in mind of little Jocelyn, she said softly. She loves them so. If I could only see her. Oh, Jordan, if I could only see her. Maria says it's terrible childish to be always harping on that string, and maybe it is. But, oh, Jordan, there's such a hunger in my heart for her. Such a hunger. Jordan felt a queer sensation in his throat and twisted his ragged straw hat about in his big hands. Just then a vague idea which had hovered in his brain all day crystallized into decision, but all he said was, I hope you feel better soon, Auntie Nan. Oh yes, Jordan, dear. I'll be better soon, said Auntie Nan with her own sweet smile. The inhabitants shall not say I am sick, you know. But if I could only see little Jocelyn first. Jordan went out and hurried downstairs. Billy Morrison was in the stable when Jordan stuck his head over the half-door. Say, can I have the rest of the day off, sir? I want to go to Kensington. Well, I don't mind. May as well you get drunk and done before Harmers comes on. And here, George, take this quarter and get some oranges for Auntie Nan. They ain't mention it to headquarters. Billy Morrison's face was solemn, but Jordan winked as he pocketed the money. If I've any luck, I'll bring her something that'll do her more good than the oranges. He muttered as he hurried off to the pasture. Jordan had a horse of his own now, a rather bony nag, answering to the name of Dan. Billy Morrison had agreed to pasture the animal if Jordan used him in the farm work, an arrangement scoffed at by Mrs. William in no measured terms. Jordan hitched Dan into the second-best buggy, dressed himself in his Sunday clothes, and drove off. On the road, he reread a paragraph he had clipped from the Charlottetown Daily Enterprise of the previous day. Jocelyn Burnett, the famous contralto, is spending a few days in Kensington on her return from her maritime concert tour. She is the guest of Mr. and Mrs. Bromley of the Beaches. Now, if I can get there in time. Jordan got to Kensington, put Dan up in the livery stable, and inquired the way to the Beaches. He felt rather nervous when he found it. It was such a stately, imposing place sit back from the street in an emerald green seclusion of beautiful grounds. Fancy me stalking up to that front door and asking for Miss Jocelyn Burnett, grinned Jordan sheepishly. Maybe they'll tell me to go around to the back and inquire for the cook. But you're going just the same, Jordan Sloan, and no skulking. March right up now. Think of Auntie Nan, and don't let style down you. A pert-looking maid answered Jordan's ring, and stared at him when he asked for Miss Burnett. I don't think you can see her, she said shortly, scanning his country cut of hair and clothes rather superciliously. What is your business with her? That maid's scorn roused Jordan's standard, as he would have expressed it. I'll tell her that when I see her, he retorted coolly. Just you tell her that I've got a message for her from Auntie Nan Morrison of Goal Point Farm, Avonlea. If she hain't forgot, that'll fetch her. You might as well hurry up, if you please. I'm not overly too much time. The pert maid decided to be civil at least, and invited Jordan to enter, but she left him standing in the hall while she went in search of Miss Burnett. Jordan gazed about him in amazement. He had never been in any place like this before. The hall was wonderful enough, and through the open doors on either hand stretched vistas of lovely rooms that, to Jordan's eyes, looked like those of a palace. Gee whiz! How did they ever move around without knocking things over? Then Jocelyn Burnett came, and Jordan forgot everything else. This tall, beautiful woman, in her silken draperies, with a face like nothing Jordan had ever seen or ever dreamed about. Could this be Auntie Nan's little Jocelyn? 
Jordan's round, freckled countenance grew crimson. He felt horribly tongue-tied and embarrassed. What could he say to her? How could he say it? Jocelyn Burnett looked at him with her large, dark eyes, the eyes of a woman who had suffered much and learned much, and won through struggle to victory. You have come from Auntie Nan, she said. Oh, I am so glad to hear from her. Is she well? Come in here and tell me all about her. Oh, not in there, ma'am. I'd never get it out. Just let me blunder through it out here some ways. Yes, am Auntie Nan, she ain't very well. She's, she's dying, I guess, and she's longing for you night and day. Seems as if she couldn't die in peace without seeing you. She wanted to get to Kensington to hear you sing, but that old cat of a Mrs. William, begging pardon, ma'am, wouldn't let her come. She's always talked of you. If you can come out to Gull Point Farm and see her, I'd be most awful obliged to you, ma'am. Jocelyn Burnett looked troubled. She had not forgotten Gull Point Farm, nor Auntie Nan, but for years the memory had been dim, crowded into the background of consciousness by the more exciting events of her busy life. Now it came back with a rush. She recalled it all tenderly, the peace and beauty and love of that olden summer, and sweet Auntie Nan, so very wise in the lore of all things simple and good and true. For the moment, Jocelyn Burnett was a lonely, hungry-hearted little girl again, seeking for love and finding it not until Auntie Nan had taken her into her great mother heart and taught her its meaning. Oh, I don't know, she said perplexedly. If you would come sooner, I leave on the 11.30 train tonight. I must leave by then or I shall not reach Montreal in time to fill a very important engagement. And yet I must see Auntie Nan, too. I have been careless and neglectful. I might have gone to see her before. How can we manage it? I'll bring you back to Kensington in time to catch that train, said Jordan eagerly. There's nothing I wouldn't do for Auntie Nan, me and Dan. Yes, sir, you'll get back in time. Just think of Auntie Nan's face when she sees you. I will come, said the great singer, gently. It was sunset when they reached Gull Point Farm. An arc of warm gold was over the spruces behind the house. Mrs. William was out in the barnyard, milking, and the house was deserted, save for the sleeping baby in the kitchen and the little old woman with the watchful eyes in the upstairs room. "'This way, ma'am,' said Jordan, inwardly congratulating himself that the coast was clear. "'I'll take you right up to her room.' Upstairs, Jocelyn tapped at the half-open door and went in. Before it closed behind her, Jordan heard Auntie Nan say, "'Jocelyn! Little Jocelyn!' in a tone that made him choke up again. He stumbled thankfully downstairs, to be pounced upon by Mrs. William in the kitchen. "'Jordan Sloane, who was that stylish woman you drove into the yard with, and what have you done with her?' "'That was Miss Jocelyn Burnett,' said Jordan, expanding himself. This was his hour of triumph over Mrs. William. "'I went to Kensington and brung her out to see Auntie Nan. She's up with her now.' "'Dear me,' said Mrs. William helplessly. "'And me in my milking-rig. Jordan, for pity's sake, hold the baby while I go out and put on my black silk. You might have given a body some warning. I declare I don't know which is the greatest idiot, you or Auntie Nan.' As Mrs. William flounced out of the kitchen, Jordan took his satisfaction in a quiet laugh. Upstairs in the little room was a great glory of sunset and gladness of human hearts. Jocelyn was kneeling by the bed, with her arms about Auntie Nan, and Auntie Nan, with her face all irradiated, was stroking Jocelyn's dark hair fondly. "'Oh, little Jocelyn,' she murmured. "'It seems too good to be true. It seems like a beautiful dream. I knew you the minute you opened the door, my dearie. You haven't changed a bit, and you're a famous singer now, little Jocelyn. I always knew you would be.' 
Oh, I want you to sing a piece for me, just one, won't you, dearie? Sing that piece people like to hear you sing best. I forget the name, but I've read about it in the papers. Sing it for me, little Jocelyn. And Jocelyn, standing by Auntie Nan's bed, in the sunset light, sang the song she had sung to many a brilliant audience on many a noted concert platform, sang it even as she had never sung before, while Auntie Nan lay and listened beautifully, and downstairs even Mrs. William held her breath, entranced by the exquisite melody that floated through the old farmhouse. Oh, little Jocelyn, breathed Auntie Nan in rapture when the song ended. Jocelyn knelt by her again, and they had a long talk of old days. One by one they recalled the memories of that vanished summer. The past gave up its tears and its laughter. Heart and fancy alike went roaming through the ways of long ago. Auntie Nan was perfectly happy. And then Jocelyn told her all the story of her struggles and triumphs since they had parted. When the moonlight began to creep in through the low window, Auntie Nan put out her hand and touched Jocelyn's bowed head. Little Jocelyn, she whispered, If it ain't asking too much, I want you to sing just one other piece. Do you remember when you were here, how we sung hymns in the parlor every Sunday night, and my favorite always was The Sands of Time or Sinking? I ain't never forgot how you used to sing that, and I want to hear it just once again, dearie. Sing it for me, little Jocelyn. Jocelyn rose and went to the window. Lifting back the curtain, she stood in the splendor of the moonlight and sang the grand old hymn. At first, Auntie Nan beat time to it feebly on the counterpane, but when Jocelyn came to the verse, with mercy and with judgment, she folded her hands over her breast and smiled. When the hymn ended, Jocelyn came over to the bed. I am afraid I must say goodbye now, Auntie Nan, she said. Then she saw that Auntie Nan had fallen asleep. She would not waken her, but she took from her breast the cluster of crimson roses she wore and slipped them gently beneath the toil-worn fingers. Goodbye, dear sweet mother heart she murmured. Downstairs she met Mrs. Williams, splendid in rustling black silk, her broad, rubicund face smiling, overflowing with apologies and welcomes, which Jocelyn cut short coldly. Thank you, Mrs. Morrison, but I cannot possibly stay longer. No, thank you. I don't care for any refreshments. Jordan is going to take me back to Kensington at once. I came out to see Auntie Nan. I'm certain she'll be delighted, said Mrs. Williams effusively. She's been talking about you for weeks. Yes, it has made her very happy said Jocelyn gravely. And it has made me happy, too. I love Auntie Nan, Mrs. Morrison, and I owe her much. And all my life I have never met a woman so purely, unselfishly good, and noble, and true. Fancy now, said Mrs. William, rather overcome at hearing this great singer pronounce such a nicomia among quiet, timid old Auntie Nan. Jordan drove Jocelyn back to Kensington, and upstairs in her room Auntie Nan slept, with that rapt smile on her face and Jocelyn's red roses in her hands. Thus it was that Mrs. William found her, going in the next morning with her breakfast. The sunlight crept over the pillow, lighting up the sweet old face and silver hair, and stealing downward to the faded red roses on her breast. Smiling and peaceful and happy lay Auntie Nan, for she had fallen on the sleep that knows no earthly wakening, while little Jocelyn sang. 